On today's ARC Waves, we are honored to welcome recently named Commissioner of the New York State Office of People with Developmental Disabilities, Carrie Neifeld. Carrie has a background in social work and has had experience in working in a variety of government advisory roles within New York State, the most recent being Assistant Secretary for Human Services and Mental Hygiene in the Governor's Office. Her vast experience gives her a unique perspective on how to bolster the direct support professional workforce, as well as how to make innovative service delivery changes to better serve people with intellectual and or developmental disabilities. Well, thank you so much, Commissioner uh, Neifeld, for joining us today. It's, it's really a pleasure to have you here in person. Um, we have a few questions to ask you, and you know we uh, have appreciated your visit today to the Arcanida Lewis. You've seen our College Works program and School to Work, our Employment Solutions team. Um, you've heard a lot about what we're doing uh, on the education side to employment. Um, and we're really excited that you are out and about visiting agencies, and it tells us so much about your uh, your commitment as well as the governor's commitment to to our field. So I just want to ask you, I know that you're a social worker, and I'm wondering how does your background in social work and human services inform your decisions in your current position? Sure, it's a great question. Um, and yeah, being a social worker is something that I'm really proud of, and I think it's um, you know something that other social workers have you know, acknowledge to me seeing me in this role that they're really happy to see a social worker in this role. I think it does bring an important, um, you know, just an important perspective to to government and to policymaking, um, you know, the benefit of having worked on the ground in the field with, um, you know, with, with families and individuals who've had lots of different needs, I think really informs, right, everything that you know, I'm thinking about when we're talking together as a team is always about how is this going to, you know, serve the people that are our ultimate right focus the people with intellectual and developmental disabilities how are we serving them with every decision that we make or every policy that we put out and i think that's part of why it's so important for me to be on the road and meeting mm -hmm. providers and meeting the families and the individuals that we're serving is it just continues to help inform that perspective and really get an on the ground sense of um, what's working great and what's not and where can we improve and where can we um, you know where is what we're doing really great and we want to you know bring that statewide or whatever it is. I what think, a, oh sorry Karen. Oh, that was great. Um, one of the things that I, I've heard from you and I heard today and just learning about you is your variety and places that you've worked in the social work field. Yeah. Um, how do you think working in all those different sectors informs you in, um, in the level that you're at as a commissioner? Yeah. It's a great question. Um, I mean, I think what it does is it shows me where um, there's so much opportunity and room for partnership between the multiple state agencies and the multiple sectors and how um, you know, there's lots of fields. Like just as a, in a great example, in the mental health side of the world, they are they do a great job with supportive housing and with really, you know, the focus on, you know, community integration for individuals when looking at housing and residential supports. And that's something that we're really focused on here in the OPWDD system. Um, and you can really take a lot of opportunity that OMH has already tried and tested and proved. Um, we can take it and import it into our system. I think that's just one really great example. But, yeah. you know, from a policy perspective, there are so many people that we serve who don't fit neatly into one box. And we talked about right. this a little bit earlier. Right. 
um, you know, that, that need to be served by multiple systems and that can be difficult sometimes. Um, so having that perspective, I think is really invaluable in this role. Great. Heather? I was just going to say, I love, uh, to, in answer to your first question, how you use that experience in social work to remain grounded and remain focused on how those policies really impact your end goal users, your end users there. I think it's so important to keep that perspective as a leader mm -hmm. because then you know what you're doing is really having the intended impact. Right. Um, you've talked to, to us today and I've heard you in different settings talk about the initiatives um, that you have spoken to with Governor Hochul, what you would like to see in your strategic plan, um, and particularly the, the sort of the areas that you've mentioned before. Um, some of those have included workforce, stability, education, employment, housing, um, are areas that you plan to address. Can you talk a little bit more specifically about those areas and, and what you would like to see um, from providers and or families um, as you um, continue with those goals? Sure. Um, yeah, and, and honestly, those goals are really goals that we heard from our stakeholders, families, the people we support, um, and providers, that those are the goals of the field. Um, you know, over the summer, OPW, before I joined the team, um, undertook a really uh, robust strategic, um, I'm sorry, robust uh, stakeholder engagement process to help us develop a five-year forward-facing strategic plan. And these are all the these are all the goals and the ideas and the priorities that we heard from the people that we serve um, that they want to see us focusing on and then, you know, helping to to focus the field on and helping to move forward and certainly employment opportunities, educational opportunities, taking a look at how can we continue to focus on community integration and our day programming and our employment supports, housing, and really developing that continuum of, um, of housing supports, of residential supports for people so that, you know, there's an opportunity to move through, you know, independent housing, supportive housing, you know, supportive IRA, supervised IRA, so that it's not just a one-size-fits-all for, for the people that we're serving. And so we're really focusing our efforts as an agency around those strategic priorities um, how all of our policy discussions, um, you know, everything that we're talking about when we're talking about, you know, developing the governor's state of the state agenda and helping the, the governor to, you know, develop her budget proposal, it all kind of comes back to those conversations that we're having with the field. Some of the specific things that we're doing, we talked a little bit earlier about the being, um, you know, the benefit um, that the American Rescue Plan Act has provided to us as an agency and to the field, mm -hmm. um, you know, through that enhanced funding. Um, and we're really taking those those dollars as an opportunity and putting out, um, you know, several different RFPs um, that will be incentivizing and asking providers to come to us with their creative ideas, um, you know, ideas around housing and how we can help transition individuals to least restrictive housing environments. What, what are the barriers um, that are keeping people out of those environments? How can we as an agency support? How can our funding, um, you know, prove a concept that later on we can take and try to scale statewide and maybe integrate into our waiver services? Um, same thing with employment and with day programming. We're really looking for providers to show us, especially coming out of the pandemic where we know providers had to get really creative about the way they were serving people. Uh, you know, taking the opportunity from what has been a really, you know, difficult two years um, and saying, well, what, what worked, right? What do we want to keep doing um, when we, you know, when we come out of this pandemic on the other side, hopefully. Um, so that's employment, housing. Workforce obviously is a huge priority for us. Um, you know, like I said, over 75% of the funding that we got through the American Rescue Plan Act is devoted to workforce. And then obviously, well, I know we'll talk about it a little bit more in depth. Um, you know, the governor's executive budget proposal um, really 
continues to support the workforce and recognizes that you know the workforce is really the backbone of what we're trying to do here and serving people and we can't do that without a really you know, well-qualified and well-compensated workforce. Can I just touch base on one thing? Because for the people who might be listening, they might not be familiar with OPWDD necessarily. And what I really found impactful in what you said was developing that strategic plan based on feedback, not just from the people we support, but from their caregivers and their loved ones and their family members like mm-hmm. that. Uh, I think that's so important for creating that robust plan that's really going to make sure, to your point, all the stakeholders' opinions are taken into account. So I have to congratulate you on on doing that because I'm sure that's a lot of hard work uh, for you and your team to develop that, um, but it's so important to really ch- chart a course that's going to make an impact. Right, yeah, and it's something that we're really proud of. And, you know, again, like I said, the agency was already working on this before I came, so I certainly can't take any credit for it. Um, but we're really proud to have um, developed this plan in partnership with our stakeholders, like, you know, like you said, families that we serve, people that we serve, self-advocates, providers, um, you know, advocates and lobbyists everybody had the opportunity to you know participate in telling us what they want to see um Mm -hmm. and then you know i think we did that through five regional forums you know hundreds of emails came in many phone calls um you know close to 40 stakeholder meetings just taking all that information in and what makes it great is that we're putting out a draft plan in the middle of april um our our field will now have an, an opportunity to comment on our draft plan before it becomes a final plan and then we can really hold that up as a as a plan that we worked on together as a sector uh, and that we are all committed to moving forward together, you know, to achieve these goals. So it's something that we can always come back to and sort of, you know, like we talked about at the beginning, you know, how are, how is what we're doing serving, you know, the people who are our end user, right, mm-hmm. the people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. This plan, right, is the same thing. How is, how is what we're doing in support of our strategic plan and if it's not in support of it maybe we need to think about doing it later because we're really focused on achieving these goals right now that we all set out together how do you um think about uh evaluating the 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 progress and the you know how it's working with the the plan yeah that's a great question um i think everything that we do to support the plan um you know so we have really high level goals and we're breaking that down into multiple objectives and i think every objective that we have um, we'll have to have outcome measures um, and ways that we're measuring our success um, and then the great thing about the strategic planning process is that on an annual basis we have an opportunity to come back to that plan and look at every objective and say where are we in mm-hmm. meeting this objective have we made as much progress as we thought we would have we made more progress um, are we going nowhere and why? Um, so it really built into that engagement um, or built into that strategic planning process is those opportunities to come back and reflect. And as an agency, um, you know, our team is really constructing itself in a way to support the strategic plan. So we have a whole office of strategic initiatives great. and their sole focus is keeping us as an agency focused on these strategic um, initiatives that we have set out as our goals. Um, and making sure that we're moving forward. The transparency that you demonstrate with that sort of process to me too is such a great way to underscore a key leadership trait because not only does your team know where you're coming from, but so do the people who are leveraging services from you and people who aren't but are outside looking in. It's so important. Yeah, and that's like a hallmark of of Governor Hochul um, Mm -hmm. is transparency and and she wants people in New York to know that government's working for them Mm -hmm. um, and we take that very seriously. That's wonderful. That's a that's a big um, 
big burden to shoulder, but, but also a privilege at the same time. Sure, yeah. You've talked a little bit about this already, and engaging families, um, people you support. How do you see, um, what more do you, or would you like to see happen under your tenure to um, ask people we support, their families, to be much more engaged with planning and decision making? You know, I think we are lucky because we have a system where families are really engaged and especially right. coming from other systems um, that I've worked in, right. you know, I think one of the, the real bonuses of our system is how involved and how engaged with planning um, the families are of the people that we serve. Um, and, you know, really, you know, they really channel all of their talents and, and, you know, their, you know, sort of what they do for a living or what they do in their personal life and really cha channel it at our system, which we're the beneficiaries of. Um, you know, I think things like this, our stakeholder engagement, having really formal processes um, in place for people to submit their formal opinions and to be part of those conversations in a meaningful way is really important. We also have on, an, on a monthly basis, multiple stakeholder meetings that we do on a monthly basis where we're talking with providers, we're talking with families, we're talking with self-advocates. And then in general, as an agency, we have a really open door policy with the families of the people that we serve. There's a lot of connection at the regional level between the families of people that we're serving. And then in central office too, you know, lots of conversation and lots of opportunities for families to really be sort of shaping the direction that we're going. And we really try to meaningfully um, incorporate the feedback of the people that we're serving and their families and all of our decisions. Um, and I think it's really important. One thing that we're recently doing for, um, you know, along the lines of transparency and involvement is um, every policy document that we issue is now going to go through a public vetting process. So, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be quite an undertaking. So as we're just starting it now, um, so we're all, I think, waiting to see how it goes. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it's really important. So every, every policy document will go out in draft form to our stakeholders, you know, through, we have a mailbox, right, that it will, it will send it out, our regulatory affairs unit will send it out. Anybody who wants to will have the opportunity to submit comment. We'll take those comments back. Um, you know, we'll make sure that we're editing and adjusting our documents to reflect those comments and where we can't make edits for specific reasons. We're committed to being accountable and explaining to our stakeholders, here's where we took your feedback, here's where mm -hmm. we didn't, here's why, having a conversation about it before those, dra those documents become drafts. I think one thing we talk a lot about is regulation and um, you know people providers families feeling that the system is overregulated mm -hmm. um, and I think this is one opportunity for us to make sure that when these guidance documents go out to the extent possible that we are all understanding why we're putting this out sure and and what's the need right and making sure that it, you know there's not something in there that makes it really unworkable um, or unnecessary and so we're really open to having those conversations, and that's also going to be a really formal process where we'll have a lot of accountability to our stakeholders. I have to say, in uh, researching your website um, over the past couple of weeks in anticipation of this, I found information to be extremely accessible. And right. I think that that's fantastic, just trying to put myself in the shoes of someone with a person, a loved one who has a disability, and where would I go for those services? And the whole concept that you've mentioned about having kind of that open door and transparent policy, I think, is is very much on display there. So I have to congratulate you for that. Um, what I also found interesting and, and notable is that you have offices all over the place. Mm -hmm. So if someone is not comfortable navigating that online forum or the online world or 
maybe they're a little bit more old school like I am. And I really would love to just talk to a person and get that information face to face or that clarification because some of the documentation that has to be filled out um, if you have a loved one who you're trying to leverage services for can be complicated. And even someone in the field like myself looking at it, I'm going, geez, well, I'm not sure what I would answer if this scenario came in front of me. Um, So being able to have those outposts, I think, is so important. I'd like to stress that for people listening is that OPWDD is very accessible and is in all of our communities. How many offices do you have across the state? That's a great question. <laughs> I didn't mean to give you a stumper, but I didn't see that, and I thought, God, there's Say one lots everywhere. And lots and lots. <laughs> yes, many, many, many. Um, yeah, we, we're broken down. We have an interesting regional structure where we're broken down into five or six regional offices, depending on which side of the house we're, we're talking about, and then within those regions um, are multiple. I don't. I don't want to call them subregions, but subregions. Okay. Um, you know, so there are. There's a lot. Um, okay. Right. Yeah. There's representation everywhere, and we have regional off many regional offices, and then also lots of satellite offices. Um, That's great. Yeah. We are a very disparate state. You yes. know, uh, geographically so different in so many regions. So it's wonderful for people to understand that you really are reflective mm-hmm. of that cross section. Definitely. Um, just want to sort of switch it up a little bit. You know, we had talked um, uh, about Governor Hoko and her um, real commitment to our field. Um, we saw in her her executive budget that came out that she was very supportive of the um, of our field and disabilities field. Uh, and then also recently, the one house budgets came out, and so of course people are very interested in in seeing those, and then um, looking at the next steps for advocacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we're we're no stranger to advocacy; we're very rooted in that in our field. Um, and whatever happens, and whatever is actually passed, I'm curious about um, how OPWD is going to look at, um, have these initiatives made an impact? Yeah. Have they made a difference? Um, does improving um, the financial piece for DSPs, um, does training, um, how are these things really making a difference? What are, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, no, I think it's really important, and I think it's really helpful for us in an environment where we advocate on an annual basis for budget investments, right, to right. really be able to go back the next year and say, or two years from now and say, you know, last year, two years ago, you gave us X amount of dollars to do recruitment and look, this is what it did, right? Mm-hmm. And to really be able to have that data. So as a provider of services ourselves in state operations, we collect a lot of information about, you know, our attrition rates, our recruitment rates, our retention rates. If people are leaving, why are they leaving? Where are they going? So we have a really sort of sophisticated data collection operation around that, that we um, that we utilize exactly for this purpose to really so tell the story important. about what's working and not. Right. And then, you know, I think we work really closely with our providers because we don't, um, you know, we don't have access always to that information that our providers have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we work really closely with our providers, with their member organizations or their provider associations. Um, you know, I know that, you know, each sort of each provider sort of collects some of that information in their own way. Um, and so we work really closely to make sure that, you know, we're being we're able to see that as well. Um, and we work closely with the New York Disability Advocates Association, sort of the statewide, you know, group who does a lot of advocating on behalf of mm-hmm. providers and people with disabilities. And, you know, they do a lot of data collection and survey 
survey taking and we use all of that information. I think there's also, you know, the national core indicators. I know a lot of our providers take part in, you know, those NCI surveys. And I think, you know, one thing that's really important that we've been working on, and I think we have a lot of support from the Department of Labor, is also the standard occupational codes. Right. And at the federal level. Mm-hmm. That's um, huge. Yeah, looking to, you know, to see the federal Department of Labor really identify direct support <laughs> professionals, mm-hmm. um, you know, and track that information because that's exactly what we need to see you know, what's working, what's not working, you know, we did this two years ago, are we seeing that reflected in our data later? We don't really have access to that from a federal perspective, but we're advocating for that when we have, like I said, support at the State Department of Labor for that as well. So we're hopeful. I know that it's been a conversation that we've been having for a long time, but hopefully we'll get there. And I think, I think that's part of the professionalization too. I think also, you know, it's really being able to look at a number of different um, solutions to the problem, mm-hmm. right? It's not mm-hmm. just about sure. adding in some extra funding or bonuses or incentives. Training, of, of course, as we've talked about before, I can't emphasize that enough. I think people um, want to be able to stay at their jobs. They want to be able to come in and really do their job well, but they need to know how to do it. And, right. and you know, with the, with the many regulations um, or the, the needs of, of people, we want to be able to do that right. So right. however we can partnership with that. Um, and then also it's really looking at the relationships mm-hmm. that people have um, with those that we support. That's a huge piece. Yeah. Often is not really um, spoken about as much as maybe we need to. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about making sure that people are direct support professionals are paid a living wage. Of course, that's understandable. Um, of course, we want to be able to make sure people are trained. But the how we make sure that that relationship is um, showcased mm-hmm. and is... Um, seen as a, as a critical piece to to this job, right? right? I yep. mean, um, is is really an important piece. Um, do you factor what kind of things do you factor into, you know, recruitment or retention ideas um, that might be helpful to our field? I mean, I think you're right. One of the things that's one of the things that we're really focused on that you're talking about right now is really showcasing what the job is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a really big misconception yep. about what it means to be a DSP, and people think about it as glorified babysitting or yeah. as the same as home care, and it's really not. And, you know, we talk a lot with our communications team about, you know, how can we showcase what a DSP is doing, both from the perspective of a DSP and how meaningful and fulfilling it is at the end mm-hmm. of the day, even though it's a hard job and it's a tough job, but you feel so good about the work you're doing. Sure. But then also from the people who are supported, being able to, you know, give a testimonial about the you know the millions of ways that their lives are changed because they have people who support them right mm-hmm. the you know having a, a committed caring dsp is the difference between somebody being able to get a job go to school right live independently um i think all that's so important and i think it's really important that we showcase what that job really is to people because um, I mean, what i hear is that once people get in the door and they do the job, they love it and they can't leave. You know? Sure, right. sure. Um, right. And that's been my experience too, is, right. you know, and my exposure to this work is really falling in love with, with what we're all trying to do, you know. Right. That's such a nice way of putting it. And I do think we need to celebrate that relationship and that role more. Um, in my uh, interactions at the bakery with some of the people we support there, they're constantly talking about their staff and how much they love their staff mm-hmm. and what difference their staff makes in their daily life and in the goals that they're looking for and what their plans for the future are and I think that's got to be so gratifying to be that staff person to know that impact that they've made on someone's life yeah yeah 
And then, I mean, you know, some of the other things that we're working on is, you know, not just the dollars. I think, obviously, it goes without saying we need to be paying a living wage to our DSPs. Mm-hmm. They deserve yes. that. They deserve more than that. Right. Um, right. You know, but then also making sure that they're supported with, you know, the right types of trainings, the right, right. types of professional um, you know, professional, uh, you know, teaching and training so that they can grow if they want to grow within right. an organization. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're talking a lot about credentialing, a lot about professional development, yeah. making sure that all those opportunities are there. So we're doing a lot of partnering with SUNY, partnering with BOCES, um, you know, making sure that there are, um, you know, that those things are out there and available to individuals who want to take advantage of that. Um, I think credentialing is a big thing that we're talking about, and we're using a lot of those federal funds that we've talked about before, the right. American Rescue Plan Act funds, to invest in those, um, to invest in those types of initiatives, so that we can bring them, you know, to bear for everybody. That's fantastic. So, we had a couple questions before um, we move into the lightning round uh, for Heather. Um, you, one of the things that, um, at least, and I don't want to speak for everybody, but for our agency. We're very interested in timely approval of authorization of services. Um, we have a great relationship with the DDRO, with the care managers locally. Um, but sometimes things, you know, because the forms have to be filled out a certain way or, you know, issues have to be resolved as quickly as possible. It's not always, you know, ability to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly um, I think we all feel that we want to be able to make sure that if somebody is interested in, in having a support service at a particular location, that we really work whatever we can do on our side um, to, to help support that. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, do you see that uh, as an issue? Is it something you've been hearing about? And then is it something that you'd like to, to sort of take a pause and review how we can improve that area? Definitely. It's definitely, as I've been, you know, going around the state and meeting with um, other providers and talking to families and individuals, certainly it's something that I hear. Um, you know, I think sometimes there are, you know, you know, challenges that are specific to one individual. Other times there are systemic problems. You know, I'm, you know, still relatively new in the job, um, but it's absolutely an area that I, you know, I intend to focus on. And I know that the team is already focusing on just looking at our business practices. How can we improve our business practices? What role does technology play in making, you know, some of our processes more streamlined, making sure that we're able to get information more timely and working with the other systems. A lot of times, you know, some of what you're talking about, documentation, things like that are coming from other systems as well, mm-hmm. making sure that there's a streamlined process around that. We're always looking to improve. Um, I mean, and, you know, to the point earlier, um, you know, if we can't get people in the door, they can't get access to our services. And so right. that's obviously a big focus. Right. Um, one of the things that we've often heard about over the last few years and uh, predating you in, in your position is a move towards managed care. Um, and lots of different discussions and, and things that I've been involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's pros and cons to that. One of the outcomes of that whole discussion was care coordination organizations. Um, certainly as social workers, I think we both understand how critical that that right. line is, you yeah. know, and that the quality needs to be there and, and uh, you know, that also needs to be um, reviewed and looked at. So right. how do you see, you know, um, care management and do you see that as moving forward or yeah. you know is there ways that agencies can um, prepare or support that sure that's a great question um yeah i mean i think care management is really the foundational service right for for, for folks who you know choose to have a care manager which is the vast majority of the people that we serve um you know the care manager um should really be the access point for anything that individual needs within our system the care manager should be working really closely with the ro mm-hmm. working really closely with the provider with the families making sure that an individual is 
needs are being met at a baseline, but also that right their goals they're, that they're working towards achieving whatever their own personal goals are. Um, so it, I think care management is really important. And having been in a former life, you know, someone who worked in you know various care management type of roles, um, you know, I think it's really important. So care management, the CCO program is about three years old. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's still very new. Um, And, you know, as we've talked about, the, you know, the past two years have been living through a pandemic, which changed the way we all do business. Certainly. Um, So I think it's a great opportunity we have right now with the federal funding that we have to invest some dollars into, you know, an evaluation of care management of the program, where it's at now what's working and what's not. You know, you hear some really wonderful stories about care managers, you know, and, and how how great they do at serving the individuals on their caseload. But then I think you hear some, you know, other stories about where care management is maybe breaking down a little bit and yeah. that, this, you know, it's just not working right. for certain people. Um, and so we're really invested in taking a look at that program and making sure that it's a program we invested a lot of time and energy into. We want that program to be successful for the people that it's serving. Um, so we'll be taking uh, some of the funds from the ARPA um, money to invest in an evaluation of care management um, and make sure that we're doing what we need to do to improve that and you know to sustain what's working, improve what's not working. And I think the important thing about that is that we're looking at our own operations around that, looking at care management, looking at you know the feedback and experience of the people that we're serving, of the providers who rely on care management right. to help get things done. So really trying to take a comprehensive look from all perspectives at that program. And then, you know, to the question about managed care, I think that the care management evaluation is a very important piece of answering the question of managed care. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to have a really strong care management program in place if we're going to contemplate a transition. Um, and it's actually something that we're working on internally now is another opportunity to bring in a consultant and then do an evaluation of managed care, looking at managed care products that are offered in New York State already, looking at other states that have transitioned to managed care for people with IDD, and also you know looking at our current fee-for-service system and trying to understand you know, through the lens of our strategic plan, right? this is where we want to go for the people that we serve, and then how does managed care or fee-for-service fit into that strategic plan and really support us in um, achieving those goals? So really trying to really trying not to answer the question of managed care, yes or right. no managed right. care, but right. Right. The, answer, the question really is, how do we achieve these goals and does managed care or fee-for-service or something else, you know, really support us in doing that? Right. I think when people hear managed care, at least they have in the past, those two words, you know, they, it gets people nervous, right? Sure. They yep. think, my children's services are going to be cut. Right. Yep. I think the approach that you're taking is, is right on in that um, being able to just sort of pause, take a t- step back, mm-hmm. And say let's let's just look at what's working and what's not in the current system, right. mm-hmm. and then figure out how we can collectively work together to um, you know make it stronger. Right. You know, and I, I think I appreciate that approach. I you know um, I think that's the right way to go. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think we want right. We want everything again, like we talked about, to really be focused on these goals that we're all wanting, trying to right. work towards. Right. And then that's where the focus should be, right? I mean, managed care is you know it's a product that helps us achieve a goal right but right. it's, it's a not means to an end yeah right. right yeah and it's so important to keep that in mind and that's why building that robust strategic plan is so vital because that does guide you through all right. these little hiccups and these evaluations of oh we've got managed care over here and you could find yourself playing whack-a-mole but as long as you're headed in those end goals and you know to your point really g- being grounded in the end user mm-hmm. 
It keeps you on the straight and narrow. And the partnerships are so important. Right. And and people's voices, you right. know. And I think, I think, um, always keeping that in mind and and exactly like you're doing, getting out and listening to people and um, sharing with the DDRO experience and and you know having them here also as a partner has has really showed us you know how how um, much that you're committed to making that yep. happen. So I, I, I'm going to stop because I, I, I know it's your turn, Heather, to do the, your favorite part. Well, before I take over, though, Karen, just in case there are any listeners who are uninitiated, DDRO. Oh, my goodness. Developmental Disabilities <laughs> Regional Office. Developmental Disabilities <laughs> Regional Office. Thank you very much. Um, just because I know we do have a lot of listeners from all over the country, and some of them may not be familiar with the vernacular, yeah. so I thought that's it right. bears just stopping just for a second and uh, defining that term yeah, quickly. Lots of acronyms yes. while you're on. <laughs> yes, it's, a, it's like an alphabet soup. We can just kind of toss sure. them up and see what we come up with. Uh, well, I have to say thank you so much for the transparency of this conversation, the transparency of the process that you're developing, and uh, the strategic plan that goes along with that, because I do think we will see here on the ground level um, as people very closely uh, involved with the end users, how that's going to impact them. So it's it's vitally important. So thank you. Um, we do do these little lightning round questions, which are kind of fun for me, um, and I think fun for the people who listen, just to get to know you a little bit more. Uh, so the first question I'd like to ask is, what is your favorite place to visit in New York State? Oh, that's a really hard <laughs> question. I'm sure you've traveled to quite a few of them since <laughs> taking this role. Right? <laughs> yeah, and I'm, you know, I... I've lived in New York my whole life. I'm a very proud New Yorker. Um, I think I guess my favorite part to visit, if I if I could go anywhere, it would probably be the Adirondacks. I grew right. up right at the foothills of the Adirondacks and spent a lot of time in Lake George growing up and and hiking the high peaks with my husband. Um, so that's my favorite place to go. Oh, nice. Yeah. Where in New York State did you grow up? I grew up in Queensbury, which is just outside of Lake George. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Wonderful. Yeah. Well. We're not too different in terms of topography here. Yeah. A little bit, little bit lower mountains, yeah. but <laughs> on this side of the park. Um, what female leader most inspires you, and why? That's a great question. It's a great time for female leaders. I mean, I'm a person who's really been lucky my whole career to be the beneficiary of really strong mentorship, and it's really important to me to um, to be that for other young women um, and young men. But you know, for me as a woman who who's been able to you know, especially as a social worker graduating from from school from, you know, my bachelor's degree, I never in a million years would have envisioned for myself working in politics or working mm-hmm. in government. This was a trajectory that happened. It unfolded for me because other people took me along, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, meeting someone in this area who said, you'd be good at that. Let me help you get there, right? And then let mm-hmm. me support you while you're doing that has been, you know, just the key to me and my career and, and what I, you know, feel like has been a, you know, pretty successful career. Um, so lots and lots of really strong mentor women, you know, lots of other women who work in, you know, state government, Kristen Proud, who works at DOH, Sheila Poole, who's the commissioner at OCFS, Commissioner Reardon from Department of Labor, and of course, you know, the governor, um, you know, has been a trailblazer um, from a, the perspective of being a woman leader yeah. her whole career as well, um, you know, and really has done you know, pretty incredible things. And I think for me as a woman and a mother, I always felt like I had to choose between my career. And when I turned 38 and realized I didn't have a lot of time left to make those choices, um, you know, made the decision to have a kid um, and was scared and didn't know what that was going to be for my career. But to be able to see other women who've managed, you know, really important careers and also been really awesome moms, my own mom included, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so I'm really lucky to be surrounded by awesome women in my life. 
I think that's a fantastic point for young people who may be listening that you didn't start off knowing this was going to be your trajectory. And I think that's okay. Mm -hmm. And, and so often young people are afraid to not know, okay, I have to choose now I'm going to college, I'm going to college for social work, and that's what I'm going to do. That has been an entree. And because of the connections you've made, and because you've been receptive to the different people you've come across, you've been able to take that different trajectory. And I think that's fantastic. We're glad we're glad you found your way here. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, on that note, thank you so much for coming to visit us. We really appreciate it. It's been a great day. Commissioner, thank you so much. Thank you. Disclaimer, the views, ideas, and opinions expressed in this podcast are only those of the individuals involved and do not reflect the official policy or position of the ARC Oneida Lewis chapter, the ARC New York, or any other agency, organization, employer, or company.